This is kind of a fun fact for those of you who've been on counter for a little while, or if you're brand new, uh, this might make sense, is that um, this church, kind of how everything came about, um, it wasn't as, as exactly as well planned and thought out as you could imagine. It was a little bit of an accident along the way. And some of you are like, well, now that makes sense. I get that. Now, um, how it happened, people ask me all the time, they're like, hey, so kind of going into, uh, into seminary, which is pastor's training school after college, like, did you know, were you intent on starting a new church? And it was like, absolutely not. No, far from it. I don't know how, but I actually made it all the way through college and then a little bit into seminary before realizing that the vast majority, the number of churches that I was likely going to serve upon finishing the program were, were very traditional kind of pew and organ type churches, which was a little bit of a problem for me. Because that's not in my background. I had no idea what in the world that I was going to do just going to one, let alone like leading one in T-minus, you know, three years. And so I'm showing up to this thing and my seminary classmate buddies are like, you know, taking notes on like this sermon or whatever we learned in class or kind of applying it to life. I'm taking notes on like, when do I have people stand up and sit down? Like, how do I pick out a hymn? And also, what's a hymn? Like, I'm trying to, trying to do this remedial studies kind of thing. And this isn't, this is not like, don't email me later. This is not knocking any other type st styles of churches at all. We're all working for the same God. We're on the same team here, just different expressions. But I had no idea what I was doing. And so I found what I thought was a pretty, was a pretty traditional type church. And, you know, my wife and I, we started attending there. And it was a little ways into it that the pastor came by and said, you don't really fit in here. And I'm like, thank you for pointing that out. Is it that obvious? Because no, no, no. What I mean is, you're a, you're a, you're a round peg in a square hole. I'm like, this is not like better. Can you just get to the point? He goes, no, no. Maybe instead of like trying to like squish you up and, and try to like fit you into this thing, maybe there's room. There's like an area like we can express the gospel a different way to different styles of people. Maybe there's a potential for a round hole out there that has yet to be created. So welcome those of you who are round holes, uh, round pegs for the round holes, the leftovers, the pieces that don't fit a lot like me. And then Encounter Church sort of like grew grew out of that and many, many more conversations. Not intentional from the get-go, but that's often how God works is that he sort of wrecks your plan and he sometimes squishes you and, and fits you into it or sometimes, sometimes he creates a spot just for you and you didn't think that anything else would fit. But it's often how God works in like these, these messy kind of plans. And, and you can probably look back into your past and see all kinds of different ways where you had no idea how in the world God was ever gonna work through that thing or through that life event or through those people. And yet God, through his infinite wisdom, he somehow squishes things and manipulates things and moves things around and gets it all just the way he wants it. Even if that's remarkably difficult for us to see and experience with our perspective. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna hear a story out of the Bible that I think highlights just how it is, what happens when we have like these different competing plans with each other. And it's like we all offer up our competing plans for God and then we see God take all of this stuff and do some incredible things out of it. We're going to continue taking a look at the life of Jacob. In fact, this whole series is going to be about uh, the life of Jacob. I was initially like, you know, in the mess, messy situations in Bible. I guess you could just start at the beginning in Genesis. There's a lot of messy situations. And then kind of getting into it, it's like, oh no, it's all of them. It's just the whole thing. It's just a giant mess. 
And then I thought, well, you know, Jacob will be one. And then kind of digging into it more, I'm like, no, no, this whole series could be about Jacob. So that's what we're doing. The series is all about Jacob. Messy family, messy plans, messy past, messy faith, messy everything. You're in good company if you brought your mess to church here this morning. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 27. Uh, Genesis, you can bring a, or grab a Bible underneath a chair. Otherwise, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. We've got four characters that we have to kind of keep in mind throughout this message. Uh, the first character, the first two are mom and dad. That's Isaac and Rebecca. And the next two are Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers, that uh, kids that that couple had. Uh, it's important to highlight, uh, if you were with us last week, you might remember this, is that um, Esau was the favorite of Isaac. Jacob was the favorite of Rebecca. It's not good to play favorites. It's definitely not good to write it down and have people talk about it thousands of years later. But just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Sometimes it's a cautionary tale that takes a little while to get to. Think about that for a little bit. Genesis 27 starts off, and we have this picking up from where we left off last time. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and asked him, my son, and asked him, my son here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow. Go out to the open country. Hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that, and this is key, I may give you my blessing before I die. It's like he's got one final thing he has to do before he passes on, and that's share his blessing. Now this I have to pause on and highlight a couple things because it's one of those things in the story that made a lot of sense to them back then that doesn't make a lot of sense in our world, our perspective today. Uh, because back then, the whole concept of a birthright or blessing uh, was commonplace. They knew about what these things are, but we don't really have a lot of language to talk about that in our culture, 21st century here today. So last week, it was all about how Jacob kind of swindled the birthright or, or the inheritance, we're going to call it, from his older brother Esau. It was supposed to go to the oldest boy in the family. And we saw God, for whatever reason, he picks the younger, he picks the littler one, he picks the one nobody else would have picked, the deceiver. He picks Jacob and says, you're going to be my guy. I'm going to establish this line through you. And then Jacob, again, Again, cautionary tale, uh, just because it's in the Bible. He swindles this birthright inheritance from his older brother. Okay, that's, that's like the property, the lion's share of the property is now going to him, going to Jacob instead of Esau. But the other part of it was the blessing. The blessing was sort of like um, not necessarily the property, but it was kind of the public recognition of who's in charge of it or who's leading it or who's responsible for it. Now, if you're thinking for just a moment, it doesn't seem like a very great idea to give the property to one son and then like the recognition of leadership to another son. Shouldn't those things sort of go like hand in glove? Shouldn't they kind of go together? And you'd absolutely be correct. They should be. This is kind of one of the reasons why I came across this statistic earlier this week. Can't remember exactly what, what 95 to 99% of family-owned businesses never make it to the third generation, I found out, which I can kind of understand why. When you've got things like this going on, it's not even going to make it much into the second generation, let alone the third. 
It's so messed, it's so twisted the way Isaac takes the recognition and he wants that to go to Esau, even though he can do nothing now that the inheritance is going to Jacob. It's set up for a messy situation, except for there's something even more devious at stake here in play. Because what's really happening here, and we know it from the other stories of blessing that is talked about in the Bible that we see, is that what was supposed to happen is that Isaac should have lined up all of his kids, girls included, which was unusual in that time of day, but that was the Jewish custom. Everybody would line up in front of him, and then he would give each one a specific blessing according to their ability, according to their calling, their specific to them kind of a blessing. But Isaac doesn't do that. Isaac says, no, no, no. Not Jacob, not anybody else, just Esau. Meet me in the tent. I just have one thing and one blessing yet to give before I die. Now, the truly sinister thing about this is that what what Isaac had in mind wasn't simply to pass on a blessing and then go, because he knew, it's important for us to realize, he knew that God picked Jacob. He knew it. An angel told his wife, she told him, he knew that Jacob was the chosen one to continue the line even on through the line of the Messiah years and years later. Isaac knew Jacob was the guy. The problem was Isaac favored Esau, not Jacob. The problem was that Isaac had another plan. And when it came to God's plan and Isaac's plan, Isaac thought, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can in order to, to thwart, in order to stop, in order to prevent God's plan, God's will from actually happening. And so he goes and he calls, not everybody in like the custom was, but just Esau and say, hey, you come to me because I want my will over God's will, my plan over God's plan. All right, I have to make kind of a side note on this because I think it's really, really important. Because in this story, we're going to see Jacob is yet again a tricky kind of deceiver guy, and we're going to see he gets it from his mom. Um, like, we all get stuff, right? That's, but that's what he picked up along the way. That's in a minute. We're also going to see if he got, Jacob got his, his deceit from his mom, Esau got his kind of like here and now, can't look you know, beyond one step in front of me, impulsiveness from his dad. Remember that story last week where Esau comes in from the field and Jacob goes, uh, yeah, i get you some stew. Oh, thank you. I'm so hungry. Uh, yes, trade me, uh, Esau, your birthright, your inheritance, and I'll give you some stew. And he does it. It's, a, it's an unbelievably bad deal uh, or a great deal, depending on which like, perspective you're looking at it from. Uh, Jacob certainly comes out on top. He loses a stew and he gains an inheritance walks away from that thing. And we look at that last week, right? And we're like, how could he possibly do something uh, so short-sighted? Uh, how could you trade what you, what you really all want in life for just what you want right now? I think he gets it from his dad, from Isaac. We read elsewhere in Genesis that Isaac loved Esau. Why? And it says, because he, he loved the game that Esau brought him. Isaac is like a dude's kind of carnivore, and, he, and, and he, he makes decisions with his stomach. Okay, a lot of us do, but like in this case, it's really bad uh, because he, he, comes, he favors his son Esau because of the meal that he brings him. And, and then his whole life is about like, like favoring Esau all the while. And you're going, wait, wait a second. Most of us struggle mightily with just 
finding out and uncovering what the will of God is. If we only knew, right? Like if we had it beyond a shadow of a doubt, angel comes and tells your wife, this is what it has to be happened. Maybe some of you have used that one in the past and it didn't really work, but, but whatever. An angel comes and says, this is the will of God. This is the plan of God. How simple would that be? How, how perfect would that be for us in, in our decision-making? And that's exactly what happened. He had such an advantage. He knew what the plan of God was and yet he tries to go against it. What shocks me about that is that Isaac, like all of us, have such a limited perspective. We can only see two or three steps in front of us at any given time, right? And and in our more humble moments, holy moments, we understand that God has an unlimited perspective and can see every possible step on into infinity and eternity. And, And so the wisdom, when God says, this is my plan, this is how I want it to happen, the wisdom, right, to just get on board early, And how foolish and short-sighted it is for Isaac to say, no, 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 not Jacob, not your plan, Esau in my plan. It's so short-sighted. What we said about Esau, don't trade what you want for what you want right now, could also be said for Isaac. I think that's where he gets it. Don't trade, don't trade what you want out of everything. Don't trade what what you really truly want, which is to stand before the Father at the end of time and be able to say, I worked as hard as I could. I believed as much as I could. I did the best with what I had. And to be able to honestly say back to God that I have served you as faithfully as possible. That's what we all long to to want. But instead he goes for the short-term, immediate gratification. And I just, I can't help but think, Esau, Isaac, Dirk, encounter, it's such a bad deal. And and it sort of strikes me that really, truly, all of sin works the same way. That that fundamentally, I think, it comes down to just being a ripoff, just just being such a crummy deal. And and I hope that language sticks with you, because I know a lot of you from West Michigan, born and raised, and you love a good deal. I know. It's a it's a coupon capital of the world. I said that right. It's a coupon, not a, not a coupon. Because we all love deals so much. We've got our deal, our coupon narratives, deal stories. You know, nice jacket. Oh, man, I got to tell you about the deal. I had to drive an hour and a half up north, meet a guy behind a gas station. Fantastic <laughs> deal, though. We love a good deal. And, and, and so that's why I want to, I wanna, like, encourage you. The best deal that you have available to you it's to, it's to simply resist sin. Like God tells us in, in so many different ways. Like, don't trade what you long for, that holiness before God, for that moment of instant gratification right now. Right? Like God, God tells you, listen, if you want your, your marriage to be marked by two things, uh, intimacy and fidelity. If you want that within marriage, practice chastity outside of it. And God says, I made you. I understand how human relationships work. And this is just what I'm telling you, sexual immorality. Flee. Because I want the best for you. Because I want, I don't want you to get ripped off. I don't want you to short yourself. I don't want you to short me, God says. It's not a good deal. If I could ask you, at least this week, in in that moment, right, that that two-second gap 
that you have in whatever it is, where, where, where there's a pause before whatever temptation you have, whatever sin that you have, whatever thing creeps up, and there's that, there's that momentary gap, that, that bubble of hesitation or God-given divine appointment, just consider, if you could, what it is, what it is that's on, ta- on the table, the, the long-term righteousness and holiness standing before God and the immediate, short-lived, instant gratification. And just ask in that two-second gap, is it worth it? Or is this incredibly short-sighted, an Esau, Isaac kind of move that says, no, no, God, I'll take my plan. That's not the end of the story. That's just two of the four characters. Uh, The other two, verse five. Now, Rebecca, (laughs) there are no good guys and bad guys in this story. Well, there's plenty of bad guys. Um, If you're looking for a good guy in the story, uh, find a different story. Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, look, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game, prepare me some tasty food to eat that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. And she goes, now my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it, just the way Esau prepares it. Then take it to your father to eat so that, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. This is where, this is where Tricky Jake gets it from, from his mom, from Rebecca's. They hatched this plan, right, where, where you know, he's... he's smaller and, and less bearded, right? It may have taken him 34 years to be able to start to grow a beard like some of us, still working on it, but he's getting there. Esau is a hairy guy. So they hatched this plan of like going into his closet, getting out his clothes, like gluing animal fur because dude was hairy to his arms and, and like making sure he smells, making sure he looks, <clears throat> trying the best Esau voice that he possibly can. I don't know why he sounds like that. That's my Esau voice. Um, and then getting ready to, to go in to, to trick his dad, Isaac, into giving him his blessing. Can you just imagine for a minute, like mom watching this take place, right? Like dressing up her admittedly much smaller, younger son into the older son's, more rugged son's clothes. I mean, how much, how absurd it would have looked for him to be gluing animal fur to his face and to his arms and thinking, this is going to work. However absurd I think he may have looked, I don't think it even comes close to the absurdity that's behind the actions. The the absurdity of, of thinking, God chose this. God chose Jacob. But he's just taking a little too long. I I know it's God's plan. I know it's God's will. He told me. I just just think he he could use a little help expediting the process. You, You get what I'm saying? Like, honey, if you think that God needs your help to achieve his plan. Just consider for a minute that possibly your God is too small. That if you think he needs your help, 
please dream a little bigger. Imagine a little bigger. But the story isn't done yet because Isaac and Jacob aren't done yet. They haven't met. Verse 18, Jacob now, he went to his father and he said, my father, that's my Esau coming out again. I won't do that the whole time. Um, yes, my son, he answered. And he goes, who is it? Now, what you're going to notice is that he uses all five senses in this paragraph, senses to, to like try everything that he can. I know my wife is deceitful. I know that my son takes after her. I, I'm not sure this is what's happened. So he's using everything that he can in order not to figure out what's happening, not just to give his older son the blessing. He's trying in every way he can in order to thwart the plan of God. Okay, listen, to the, listen for the five senses. Jacob said to his father, he goes, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked him, how, I'm sorry, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Ooh, he says the first thing that comes to him, uh, the Lord gave me success. That's, don't bring him into it. That's worse, not better. Then Isaac said to Jacob, okay, um, come near so, so I, can, I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really Esau or not. And so Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who, who touched him and said, the voice is close to I'm sorry, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like that of his brother Esau. And so he proceeds to bless him. It's like this initial, like he starts this process, but then stops, verse 24. Are you really my son Esau? I am. And then he said, my son, uh, bring me some of your game to eat, right? Like, like, I have to taste it. Does it taste like something that Esau would bring? So that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him. And he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. And then his father said to him, come here, like, let me get a closer look, my son. Kiss me. And so we went to him, and he kissed him. And here it is, when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, and it was confirmed with all five senses, he blessed him. Everything he could possibly do using all five senses at his disposal to thwart the plan of God. It just sort of strikes me coming away from this story that we've got, we've got maybe a couple different kinds of people in the room. Or, or you might find yourself in a couple different types of seasons in life. On the, on the one hand, on the one hand, you have like these Rebecca Jacob kind of seasons where really truly in, the heart, in your heart of hearts, you know what the will of God is. Because maybe it's the moral will of God that we're talking about. And sin is sin. And holiness is holiness. And you know what God wants of you. And you know that God asks you to stop that thing or start that thing or quit that habit or start that other habit. You know what he wants. And you think, man, I'm just going to I'm just going to help them out a little long. I'm just going to take a shortcut, and ultimately it gets us to the same place, right? So I'm just going to help God out here a little ways. And, and it comes back to, it, uh, honestly, this problem of sovereignty, this problem of believing that God is actually really truly in charge, and that's a good thing. Because you don't want to serve a God who's puny enough to need my help or yours. Ironically enough, 
The place that Isaac finds himself into is, is knowing the will of God and, and trying to thwart it and trying to mess it up. It, it's different, but it still comes down to that same basic principle of God's sovereignty, that he's in charge. And that's really, truly a good thing. Because again, the same could be said, that if, that if you or I, if you can thwart the plan of God, friend, your God is far too small. Because don't, didn't you come here today to worship a God whose plans could not be thwarted, whose will could not be overrun by my own or your own? Don't you want ultimately to serve and worship a God who's so much infinitely bigger than any one of us or all of us that when we come to him in his perfect and good ways, we have nothing to offer but just to lay down and to worship him? And isn't it overwhelmingly comfortable to know comforting to know that whatever you've done, whatever your past, that you cannot thwart, you cannot stop, you cannot mess up God's plan. Consider this, that God, in his infinite plans, chose to take one of Jesus' own followers, Judas, in a bad decision he made, betraying his friend Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, is that God used that event to initiate the buyback of humanity. And we think, because I messed up my first marriage and I'm not in a good place with this one, or my parenting wasn't as strong as somebody else's, that we could possibly mess up God's good and perfect plan. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am if I could do that? You know, one of the most common things that people come to me with, uh, wearing the, the pastor hat, right? And they're coming and like, listen, man, I need some advice. Uh, it, it's advice about questions about understanding and knowing the will of God. What does God want? Sell my house, buy a house, take the job, leave the job, move, change careers, start a family, whatever it is. That's the far and away the most common thing that people come and, and ask me about. And embedded within there, I sense this anxiety. So I'm just going to tell everybody all at once so that way I can get freed up a little. No, I'm just kidding. I just... <laughs> Embedded within that is this concern. What if I miss it? Like, what if I mess it up? What if I make the wrong decision? And so I just encourage you to, to play that out just this much, just two or three more steps. And to consider the absurdity, right, of God having this good and perfect plan at the beginning of creation, how everything is going to unfold. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, he's like, well, I guess that's it. Shoot, it's all wrecked now. Jim moved to Tulsa. What plan are we on now? Right? Like how ridiculous that is. We cannot thwart the plan of God. And he doesn't need our help. So what do we do then? Right? If we're Jacob in that situation, and we're thrust in there and we're like, God, I know what you want. I want the same thing. Let's just get to the ending, cut a few corners, and I'll, I'll, meet, you. I'll meet you there. I think that the problem of Jacob really, truly came down to two things. Uh, two things that, that he ought to have changed, that if we could change, I think it would dramatically affect our week and our lives. The first one is that he put on the wrong clothes. And the second one is he was seeking approval from the wrong father. You see, we put on clothes and we dress up all the time. 
I'm not just talking about, you know, playing with the kids or Halloween as adults. Like we, we dress up and we try to pretend. Except for instead of being changed, we're just hiding. And we're just pretending like Jacob was with his older brother's clothes. We dress up all the time. When, when we go in for a job interview and they, and they ask about your previous experience, just uh, tell me about the, about the four years that you oversaw media distribution for local, regional, and international events on topics ranging from finance to weather patterns to sports statistics. Actually, I was a paper boy. <laughs> we dress up all the time. I was on a fishing trip uh, earlier before in, uh, the, last weekend, and um, and one of the first uh, one of the first tips I was told the number one rule in fishing is that when you get your picture taken with your fish, you have to kind of like hold it up a little bit closer to the camera to make it look a little bit bigger, right? Some of you are like, yeah, guilty, right? I get that. Unfortunately, the first lesson should have been how to catch a fish. That would have helped the next thing. But I'm just kind of beside the point. Like we, we dress up, we pretend, we exaggerate, we tell stories, we lie. We do these things all the time because, because we're pretending. We're, we're putting on these clothes that we're not in order to impress people that ultimately don't totally matter. Now contrast that, if you could, with what Paul tells us in Galatians 3.27 where Paul tells us that anyone who is baptized in Christ has been clothed with Christ in his righteousness. Jacob put on the clothes of his older brother Esau when he should have put on the clothes of his older brother Christ, when he should have put on righteousness. He should have put on these clothes that when he goes before not just Isaac like his approval ever mattered, when he goes before his heavenly father, clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone, clothed with clothes that they don't just hide and mask or, or pretend that I'm something I'm not, like the clothes of Esau that we wear in this world, but going before the Father clothed in the clothes of Christ that, that permeate our hearts and change us from the inside out, clothes of Christ that actually make us more loving, actually make us more gracious and truthful and kind and good and caring and compassionate and, and self-controlled. The kinds of clothes that we put on and go before our heavenly Father whose approval matters, period, against all of the approval of this world that doesn't matter, his does. And wearing the clothes of our spiritual older brother Christ, we go before our Father at the end of our lives and time itself, and we hear those words that we have been longing to hear for our entire lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. And some of you have started that journey two weeks ago when we ended the I Quit series. And I was just so struck when we asked you to share whatever it is that you're quitting in order to more fully follow Jesus. I was so struck with how many of those cards came in with, with themes about quitting pretending, quitting to be somebody that you're not, coming out into the open with the, with the skeletons in the closet, and so we're going to continue sharing these cards more, but, but I just wanted to read a couple of them. Putting on the clothes of Christ, one person said, 
I quit being a coward. I will engage and I will simply, and I will not simply observe. Another one said, I need to quit my addiction, which means not keeping it to myself. I cannot do it on my own. Last one, I've been working on giving up questioning who God has made me to be. I've been diagnosed with ADHD and taking different medications. Earlier, I've tried a lot of things that didn't work. I wasn't as good at sports, and I was labeled as socially awkward a lot. I'm quitting questioning who God has made me to be. Stop pretending. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of Christ. Hear the words of approval from the only Father that matters. You cannot thwart, stop, or help God's divine plan for your life. Why don't you stand up and let's, let's pray together. Let's go into the throne room of that God who is in control of all things. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you because, because where else would we go? Not only do you have the words of eternal life, all of this is in your sovereign and complete hands. God, we turn our hearts over and place them in your hands because, well, we're better off that way. God, for those of us who feel like you need our help or for those of us who are trying to stop or thwart your plan from coming about, saying no to you or not yet to you for far too long, Holy Spirit, just rip down those walls. Tell us who we really are. Help us to stop pretending. Help us to put on the righteous clothes of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to accept all of the true and good promises that you have made over our lives and our eternities. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.